Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Grant Johnson. He's the CMO at Imburse. Imburse is a spend management company offering solutions that help organizations manage employee expenses, process invoices, and make payments. And on the show today, we talk about his journey to become CMO at Imburse and how he ended up there, as well as his five C's for a CMO's playbook. And those five C's are culture, coaching, campaigns, and category, as well as courage. And so we talked about each one of those, get his thoughts and advice for CMOs, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Grant Johnson. Grant, welcome to the show. Alan, it's great to be here. I'm excited to have you on. And I definitely want to start off with, I hear you've been schooling kids on the tennis court lately. And I got to know what's going on. Like, what is this hustle that you have on the tennis course, the competitive tennis course for, for that matter? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I'm a USTA ranked, nationally ranked 4.0. And the great thing about tennis, you can be seven or 70. And if you play at a level, you're going to play with somebody kind of in your range. And as I've been playing for a few decades lately on some of these uh, weekend tournaments that I'm in, a 21-year-old will show up, somebody like my son's age, and they're, you know, they're, they tend to be, you know, hard hitting, but also somewhat overconfident. 
And so I was playing this uh, youngster, let's say, a couple <laughs> weekends ago. And I mean, he just crushed me the first set and he was kind of getting bored. So he's like looking at other matches while he's playing me, which is it's a bit insulting. <laughs> right. So I just started getting the ball back more often. Next thing you know, he lost the match and he was like shocked. So I don't do that too often. Don't get me wrong, but it's fun every once in a while to, you know, win when you're not expected to. Well, I think I think you're my new hero because uh, <laughs> I'm going to the gym. I'm in my mid 40s, and uh, like they're all the kids, man. They like they're so much more flexible than me. Like I do CrossFit, so like more f- flexible. They don't need as much warm up time. Like halfway through the workout, I'm warmed up at that point. Now I'm ready to kick some tail, but like it takes me a while to get warmed up. I don't know about you. Yeah, you're exactly right. I was told you should like get into a sweat 20 minutes before a match, which I generally, I drive there and I, you know, I run around the court a couple of times, but yeah, I love CrossFit. So good for you. Let's talk about business. And what was your journey to become CMO at Embers? Like, where did you get your start? And what was your first CMO gig? Because I know this is not your first rodeo. I've done it a few times. I'd been a VP of marketing at a couple companies. I got a call for this company based in Boston, Cambridge, actually, uh, called Pegasystems in 2009. And I'm not sure how I convinced my mom, my, my, uh, my wife to move from California to Boston, but somehow, you know, we both decided to do that with our younger kids at the time. And uh, Pegasystems was a company the CEO used to say it was an overnight sensation, 20 years in the making. <laughs> but at the point I got there, you know, it, uh, it was about two hundred million, and it it uh, we were on a really good growth path. I stayed uh, three and a half years. We got to five hundred million. They're they're a billion dollars today, and so that was a great first uh, CMO gig. And then I moved back to California for winters. Was about all uh, Cambridge I could handle. <laughs> uh, so I, I became CMO of Cofax, and that was also an interesting journey because we were acquired three times: once by a public company once by a foreign company and once by private equity, Toma Bravo. So um, I, I think I've been acquired probably seven times in my career and I've acquired, I've been part of acquiring or merging with 17 companies. So when I got the call for Imburse, they said they had pulled together through a series of acquisitions, mergers, six companies, and they were looking to build a branded house under Imburse and not only uh, bring it all together, but really propel growth to launch new products and services and ultimately go public. So that's uh, literally been about two years now. That's wild. I mean, and just the, you've done this five times as a CMO, you've been through seven acquisitions, I think as you just put it, but then been on the acquiring side or the merging side of 17 companies. That's, that's a lot of companies. If I think, anyway, if I just try to think about that conceptually, yeah, no, it is. And, you know, if you think about a career, it's like it's probably not even one a year, but it's close to that. And some of these are tuck in acquisitions and some are more transformational where you're really uh, co-equal. And so that those become even trickier because you have to make sure that the team you acquire, they've got meaningful roles. Uh, I've been through that particular equation a couple of times as well. This is going to be a little bit about sharing your wisdom that you've gained over the years. And when we were last talking, you mentioned you have these five C's for a CMO's playbook. How'd you come up with these before we get into them, if you don't mind? Like a lot of us living through this uncharted territory, you know, brought upon the global pandemic. And I was thinking about, you know, we've been so disrupted and we're trying to navigate our way through. What, what are the, 
the the five C's, what are the constants, right? And so I started thinking about where as leading change or leading the charge as a CMO, what, you know, what those C's would be. And so, you know, culture, coaching, campaigns, category, and courage became the five C's. Did it just naturally come to you? Like what, I'm just curious if there was a spark that started you down this path. Well, I think really the spark was I've always been involved in categories and campaigns. It's just part of the role of a, you know, head of marketing. But it just, I started thinking more about culture. I've shaped cultures at other companies, but I was in a unique position because I helped come up with our our values. We, we call it the see it values. And that was a whole different exercise, but see it stands for sincerity, empathy, empowerment, individuality, and teamwork. And, and I'd actually come up with the four values with the similar team at Pega. And so this was my second time doing it. So I was actually a little more experienced and thoughtful about how to do it. And I realized that marketing's role when, you know, you've probably heard of the, the, the summer of quit or the great resignation, you know, through the, the, the disruption. And we have more responsibilities as CMOs to help with culture, help with engagement, help with retention. And so that's kind of when I started thinking about culture, then I got into co- coaching and it sort of all came together over a period of a few weeks and I was thinking it through. Let's tackle each of the five C's, if you don't mind. Um, again, they're culture, coaching, campaigns, category, and courage. And we'll start with culture. Tell me about culture. To me, there's sort of a sub-definition. So culture is both engagement and, and retention, more important than ever with the war for talent. And so when we had the See It campaign, uh, when we launched it, we thought, well, gosh, you know, you you've seen these things fail where you put a poster on the wall and people kind of look at it. And then it's sort of like, it's like part of the the wall. I mean, it's just like it's background noise, right? Elevator music or something. And so we, we really, we came up with ways through our internal recognition to recognize these behaviors. And I knew it was taking hold when a department says, here's how we see it. In other words, here's what we're doing to help deliver a great customer experience, right? So I could come up with a slogan all day long, but when it's embraced on a genuine level. So that that was how sort of the culture, but I also had spent a decade as a marketer leading marketing teams with believing that you had to create a culture, not really in antithesis of the company, but to really build the kind of marketing performance, people call it performance marketing, you know, revenue marketing. And so I had thought about what are the attributes that I want to recognize? And I've you know, I've adapted those over time, but there, there are things around taking initiative and customer focus and collaborating. But over time, I added things like process improvement and digital savvy. I mean, we all have to, you know, be more digital. And so really the culture is helping the company build its culture, but also creating a marketing culture where people can grow and thrive. And, you know, I want to retain marketers as much as the company wants to retain talent across every function. Next up is coaching. How does coaching fit in? Coaching fits in because I feel one of the the most important responsibilities as a leader is to both lead as well as to to set the goals. You know, often we as we our careers progress, we we achieve things that we never thought possible and and sometimes they're stretch roles. I remember the first time I was a director, I was on a path and I was uh, uh the VP of marketing at the time said, oh, "I'm not sure if uh you know, you're ready for this. 
and I wasn't so sure myself. But <laughs> you know, the work the work will teach you. You know, if you make mistakes and learn. And so, coaching is finding, developing, and retaining talent, and making sure that you know you have these career path discussions at all all levels, and you uh, set stretch goals. My team all has stretch goals. It's not to say that the goals that we set are easy to achieve. By no means are they. But let's say you achieve a goal halfway through the quarter. What do you do? Coast the rest of the quarter? So that's partly why I thought that you know coaching was important. And I make sure that my team institutes a regular coaching because I've got about 45 folks and you know a number of direct reports, but there's a number of indirects. And I want to make sure they can also benefit from you know their manager or their manager's manager supporting what they aspire to do. Because you often find that, you know, people won't leave the company, they'll leave, they'll leave the manager that they didn't think was going to give them the opportunity. How do you, th- I, I, you just mentioned, you know, 45 total team members, uh, obviously they don't all report to you. You've got indirects or um, layers there. Do you approach coaching the coach different than coaching the employee? Yeah, to some extent I do, but I also try to make sure I can have a connection with each individual. I think we all have our superpowers, our you know unique abilities. Every leader, every CMO has you know things they're strong at, and I think you know communication is one of the areas that I'm strong at. But also connecting with individuals, kind of finding what turns them on, what they're motivated by. So I do a regular you know informal chats, and anybody has an open door. Like right now, I'm probably three quarters through talking to everybody on the team, and partly I do it just to make sure that I'm accessible, but partly so I can hear what's happening at the ground level. You know, it's easy to sort of, if you will, set goals and dictate, you know, outcomes. But if you're not facing the roadblocks to achieve those outcomes, you might not be able to provide as much help as possible. So, you know, finding ways to connect on a personal level and be available, I think is important, whether you're coaching somebody directly or indirectly. Let's talk about the third C of campaigns. Um, now, as a marketer, this one makes a lot of sense because it's a lot of what we do is build the campaigns. But how do you think about campaigns in this context? As I was thinking about demand, you know, before the internet, I had a CEO come to me and we were a public company and it looks like the numbers were not going to be what was anticipated. So it's like, I need you to cut a million from the budget. And uh, we were doing print advertising back then. I know it sounds crazy, but uh, I said, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can't? I said, well, I signed a one-year agreement. If I cut a million now, it's going to cost us $2 because we'll, we'll have a short rate. He said, oh boy. So now they came to me. I hope that doesn't happen. Say, hey, you know, cut 100000 I, you know, I probably could. I'd hate to do it, but a lot more flexibility. You know, and sometimes brand and demand come together in unique ways. We, we came up with this uh, campaign as I was trying to think about how to accelerate our brand in the marketplace. We just launched a couple of years ago. We we're up against some very established competitors and brands. So I came up with this idea to verbify brands. So I, it just popped in my head. I was out for a walk one day. I said, inverse it. You know, you Google something. Why don't we just inverse it? <laughs> and so we, we sort of launched the campaign internally and we came up with a way to get everybody involved. We have 800 plus employees. And I said, look, just go to a, you know, a local gym in your neighborhood around the world. We've got employees in all, you know, cities and many countries, you know, just get a coffee, a lunch, a drink. And, you know, with our app, you just snap a picture of the receipt and uh, on your smart device and use the Imburse app. And it's, you know, automatically in a 
reimbursement process. And so we came up with the tagline, don't just expense it, imburse it. And what was great about it is, you know, people appreciated us as an employer, but we had so much followership. We got like a million views because, you know, we're supporting local business. We're doing good by doing good, right? And now we're going to launch the next phase with customers. That'll be coming up pretty soon. But that's a way where you can combine building a brand. And, you know, we got a lot of, you know, website hits and, you know, you know, certain customers, I think only 5% of your targets ever in the market, but, you know, they might be in the market next quarter or next year. I love that notion of turn your company into a verb and burst it. <laughs> and it does kind of roll off the tongue, actually, uh, you know, from what you described the company does and, and the app that you guys have and, and the process and how it makes it very simple for employees to burst it. Let's talk about the fourth C category. And I want to know how you define that and what do I need to be thinking about? Because I know we operate as marketers, we're operating in existing categories, but how do you think about it? What, what do you mean by category? Yeah, I think about it a couple different ways. I think I was inculcated, schooled, if you will, in what is probably the best-selling technology marketing book of all time, Crossing the Chasm. Jeffrey Moore, he's written Inside the Tornadoes, Escape Velocity. I love that one as well. Lots, Lots of really thoughtful books. And and it really talked about the technology adoption life cycle. And so if you think you're in a category, that's in some cases, that's just too broad. You really need to think about where your customers are in their life cycle. And things that work for the early adopters won't work for the mainstream or the laggards who, oh gosh, everybody's got a smartphone. I guess I should get rid of that flip phone thing. you know. So that's one way category, but there's also I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Been some recent thinking. Uh, I was listening to uh, the CMO of this company called Solanus, and uh, they take a uh, he, uh, his name's Dave Peterson. And uh, I hadn't heard of Solanus, by the way, they just raised a billion dollars. So I thought I had to look into what the hell they're doing because that's crazy, right? And so it, he, he was a co author among a few others, this uh, Play B- Bigger book. And it really comes up with a framework how to kind of pivot into a new category. And, and an example of what they did. Because uh, we were in Pegasus as the first CMO gig. We were in something similar called process mining. And they came a new term. They called it execution management. I mean, that sounds a lot more interesting than process mining, right? So I think there's a lot more to it than that. But I think whatever category you're in, you can't necessarily on your own create the category. It's uh, Some have done it, but you know, it's going to take a lot of dollars to do that. But you can certainly redefine it. And so that's what I mean about the category. And uh, so that's positioning, but it's also within the position, you have to 
you know, have certain things that uh, resonate. It's what I call the, the messaging aspect. And it requires a lot of focus to get it right. I mean, good enough isn't. So you have to come up with something clear, compelling, and consistently expressed. And I found that it takes a lot of times a few tries at it before it just it feels right. And uh, whether it's a tagline or a campaign phrase or your, your overall value proposition, you have to just keep working on it, testing it with audiences. I always feel like what you want to do as marketers is make it easier for your customers and prospects to understand what you do and decide if it's right for them. You know, At that point, it's sort of in their hands. But if you're stuck in a sea of sameness and they don't understand not only what you do, but why you're unique, you're probably destined to either fail or you know fall short of your goals. Distinctiveness is even more important in some respects in B2B categories because you need to stand out, right? We're all trying to solve the problem of the category in our various unique ways, but standing out is, is, is a hard, hard job, frankly, but should drive market share if you stand out in the best way. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's talk about the, the fifth C, courage. It seems to be self-explanatory to some degree, like you've laid out all the things that come before and, and now you just need to have the courage to act. But how do you think about courage? How would you elaborate on courage? I think you've nailed it. And, and honestly, I, I had originally thought about four C's and I realized, gosh, you know, you could have all that, but if you don't have the courage of conviction, and that's kind of what, I mean, you have to have the will, the skill, and but also the fortitude to take the risks and, you know, stand behind your ideas because, Look, if you're in finance and you know somebody says, well, I wish we made a million more or we had higher profits, it, you can't change the numbers, but everybody has an opinion about marketing, right? And so somebody's going to criticize your idea or say it's not going to work. And uh, came up with the Inversed campaign, I was testing it. And you know, generally, I had really good support. And then you know, I went in front of the board and you know, boards, especially for you know, CMOs that don't interact as much as like a CEO or a CFO with the board that can be intimidating. And, and uh, one of the members said, well, gosh, I don't, why do you want to do that? Because, you know, like uh, you'll become generic and anybody can use and burst it. <laughs> and then fortunately my CEO said, well, yeah, that'll be a great problem to have. If everybody knows and burst, then, then we won't really need to worry about somebody copying our inverse uh, slogan. So, but it was, you know, it was helpful to have that support. And I think it, it can become a, a force multiplier if you stand behind that campaign, but you're going to face headwinds, you're going to face criticism. People will try to undermine you. That's why I think courage is is really the is equally as important as the other four C's. I agree. I think it's a good addition for sure. You've had five tours, I believe, as CMO. Uh, we talked about the number of acquisitions that you've been through, and then the, the number of acquiring of or merging of companies that you've done. What advice would you have for a first time CMO? Uh, I would say, you know. Get lots of allies. You know, I, I could I, I could probably write a whole chapter on that. But I, I how about I'll, I'll just share like five things. Yeah, uh, sure. maybe one for each stop along the way. But the first is get to know the CEO on a personal level. I, I didn't realize it's my first C, and anybody can look this up. But uh, as a founder, multi billionaire, the CEO of, of Pegas, uh, you know, pretty he can be pretty intimidating. But he's a great guy, and and um, I uh, I found out that he you know, likes to have bagels in Brookline, which is in part of greater Boston on Saturday. And I didn't take advantage of it. I really should have said, Hey, can I join you sometime and, you know, find out better what makes them tick? Cause you know, you're going to go through the 
everybody goes through their honeymoon. You know, I was there three and a half years, the company after that four and a half years. I don't know what the average tenure of a CMO is. Maybe it's three years. And so maybe I outlasted the average a couple of times, but you know, I might've decided to stay longer, but I just think that's important. I've gotten to know our, our current CEO, Eric Friedrichson, really well. We've skied together. We've, you know, tried new wines together and, you know, find out what each other's kids are doing. And I just, I didn't, I thought, Hey, doing the job was enough. So I get to know the CEO. I think that, uh, beyond just the business side of it. So that's one. The other is, and this I learned by observing a, one of my mentors getting thrown under the bus by the CRO. So you've got to align with sales. I mean, you know, it's not a question of who's right, who's wrong, who succeeds and who falls short. I've always felt you got to lock arms and agree together, going together to the CEO or the board and the rest of the executive team and say, here's what we decided to do. And, uh, you know, if marketing's contribution to pipelines a little short this quarter and sales is a little short next quarter, it doesn't really matter. We're all short, right? So I think that's key. And the other thing is um, the importance of getting buy-in and really the, the, the aspect of communications of, to figure out, like, you can be in a group setting and, and people don't want to disagree, or maybe the CEO likes the idea and they don't want to disagree with the CEO, not you, but they really disagree with your initiative, your idea. So you've got to do a you know, follow-up maybe uh, prior to a meeting, certainly after a meeting to say, do you really have the support you need? Are you aligned? You know, will the investment be supported over time? The fourth is setting expectations. And whether that's setting expectations with the CEO, the executive team, the board. I remember one CEO telling me that you know, I, had, I was getting some criticism and he was very pragmatic about it. He said, look, you're Spider-Man, but now they want Superman. You know, they want a, they want a different superhero. It's like, you're not going to walk on water, but just make sure they understand what you can do and what you can't do, you know, say it in a tactful way. So I think, you know, I think then they ask, and then, and, and certainly last but not least, I, I think early in a lot of our careers, we just wanted to excel at everything, right? And if you're good, it's like, okay, I can do it all, but nobody can do it all. And so I learned at one point, this, uh, we were growing really fast and I, I didn't hire enough talent fast enough. So really, you've got to quickly assess that first 100 days. What do I have? You know, unless you're a pure startup, you're coming into some situation. What do I need to achieve these objectives I've set? And do I have the horses? You know, do I have the people? Uh, do I need to upgrade or just fill gaps? Like, you know, I didn't have a, a lead in a digital marketing, right? And so, you know, got to make sure that our web presence is compelling. So that those would be the five uh, areas that I would advise first time CMOs on. Love it. This has been a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I would love to switch gears a little bit and ask you a series of questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show, just get your perspective, get a little deeper understanding of you, what makes you tick and all that good stuff. One of my favorite questions to ask, frankly, is has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I would say that getting fired for the first time was, yeah, I got away. That's a, that's a wake up call, right? It's like, oh, and so what did I do? What did I not do? What could I have done differently? Was it just not a marriage made in heaven? And I was at an early stage company. I won't name them, but, uh, you know, the CEO, he wanted me to work on Sundays and I just like, you know, I'll work hard, but I just like, I'm not going to give up my tennis on Sundays. And so we just were not aligned on, you know, what it would take. And was I that, person. And it had been good to know that before I took that opportunity because I turned down something else that, you know, probably would have been a little bit more stable. But I think it's important that you have to have 
the agreed upon metrics of success, not only what to, but what does good look like? Because you say, well, look, I achieved the goals, but you don't want to be debating if you in fact succeeded when you actually get there. Right. And you talked about tenure a little while ago, but I mean, it's inevitable that a CMO eventually will get fired. Like it will just happen in your natural career progression. And thank you for talking about it because it, it's it's natural. I, I, unfortunately, it's natural. <laughs> and and it, there is a lot of learning to, to take place when, when it does happen. What advice would you give your younger self? Well, that's an easy one. I would take more risk, right? I mean, some of these questions are, there's a couple of ways you can answer them, but I think uh, my early years, I was I was risk averse. I, you know, I wanted to do the job well and, you know, get set up for you know promotion if I performed over time. And I wasn't necessarily make, aiming to make an impact as much as once I became a CMO. And now it's like if somebody calls me and uh, you know I'm very happy where I am. But like even bef- before this, and somebody would call and say, "Hey, the why?" And I said, "What's the mission?" I actually had co-authored a book on branding quite a while ago, and. Um, I got called by Intel, the person who had come up with Intel inside, he, had, he was retiring. They said, we, we'd like you to interview for the role of stewarding the Intel brand, which like, hey, that was pretty impressive. I got the call. So I said, what's, what's the mission? Well, it's don't screw it up. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I can't be motivated by that kind of a mission, right? I, so I think really it's important to, to understand that what you're aiming to do and have a roadmap how to get there. I, I, I read a book years ago. I've known this person for 20 years. It's called the CMO Manifesto. John Ellett, it's on Amazon. And it's like, I think it's like a guidebook for uh, marketing change. First 100 day, ga- 100 day ga- game plan for marketing change agents. And it gives you a really good outline to get how to make an impact. And so I just think you know, don't go it alone. That's, you know, that's my advice. <laughs> I love it. Is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about right now or you're trying to learn more about yourself? You know, I feel like I love about marketers. I'm always learning and there's always some something new, especially in the in the digital age, to learn about insights and, and intent and AI. There's a lot of things. But I tell you, in spite of all the technology in the MarTech stack, what I think is overlooked is that with all this technology, we're still not getting as close as we can to our customers, right? And you just have to have a pulse, like what's on their minds? What what are the critically unmet business problems? Maybe your company can address what are the gaps they have in their execution that maybe you can help close? And how can you make them heroes? I mean, everybody wants customer testimonies, case studies. Well, you got to make the customer a hero first. <laughs> they give you a testimony of the product. It doesn't suck. It's probably not a really good endorsement, right? But it's... Uh, so, I mean, there's also qualitative vehicles like advisory boards or, you know, service. I just think having a constant pulse on your customers is is really important. Are there any brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Well, I tend to follow a lot of the major, you know, larger brands because they just have the, the weight to impact the market. So, you know, for years I followed Adobe and Microsoft and, you know, Google and Amazon, I think, you know, for a long time, they didn't even advertise, but I think they've, they've come up with a pretty good, uh, struck a pretty good chord with, you know, some of their current communications. But I also like, you know, looking at some of the fast, you know, scaling companies. I mentioned the Solanus, they've got, not only do they raise a billion, they've got a hundred thousand followers. Like that's not easy to do for a B2B company, right? That's a lot of people that are not just signing up and then forgetting it. And then, uh, 
listening to, uh, recently to some other talks by, uh, you know, Asana, Airtable. I mean, you know, certain companies like Zoom, okay, great. They, you, you could understand why they took off uh, with the pandemic, but other companies, their success wasn't as obvious through the pandemic. They must have figured out a way to navigate it, connect with customers and scale. So those are the kind of brands I like to keep uh, uh, interest in and, and follow. Last question for you. What do you feel like is the either largest opportunity or threat that is facing marketers today? I think the biggest threat is, especially if you're an established company, is somebody's after your customers and, and they're going to take them if you don't serve them well. And one of the things I've been in SaaS for a long period of time is that we're seeing the freemium models uh, encroach further into paid subscription. So if somebody offers just enough for the freemium and uh, they can find a way to provide additional value to upgrade to the paid or a more premium subscription, and they've got a more frictionless customer experience than you might have or another competitor has, then uh, you know, you're know you at risk. So that's another reason you stay close to customers. You also need to find ways to, to adapt your own offering. The market, the only constant is change. And so your ability to adapt to it is key to ongoing success. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 